Welcome, and thank you for tuning in to Black Women Amplified, the podcast. Your host, Monica Wisdom Tyson, brings you downloadable conversations that matter to women around the globe. We discuss all things black girl magic, amplify our voices, and transform our challenges into triumphs. Monica calls on her league of extraordinary women to push our boundaries, share their expertise, and stories of personal transformation. Welcome your host of Black Women Amplified, Monica Wisdom Tyson. Hello, Black Women Amplified family. It is your girl, Monica Wisdom, and I am always excited to be with you. Anytime I can share information, share new perspectives, or have conversations with amazing women, I'm here for it. And I know you're here for it, too. If you have not checked out the conversation with Reese Palmer or Rain Keys, I suggest you go check it out now. These are some remarkable women, as well as other women who I have interviewed. And one guy, I let him in for the day. (laughs) But these are remarkable stories of people that you may have never heard of before. Some of them you have. And I have some incredible people that I'm interviewing for the next three weeks. And I can't wait for you to hear those things. So make sure that you subscribe on Apple Podcasts, leave a review, share it with your people. And just let your world know all about Black Women Amplified, because it is our goal and our mission to reach around the world to let people, Black women specifically, know our own power and to allow the world to see who we really are. And that's the premise of all of these conversations, to show the world our perspective, our point of view, and who we really are. Now, don't forget to subscribe, review, and share the Black Women Amplified podcast. Also, we have gone, we are in spring holiday season, which means Ramadan, Hanukkah, Easter, and Resurrection Day. So however you celebrate, know that I'm celebrating with you and I'm sending you light and love. Spring is a great time to rejuvenate, get outside in the air and in nature, and to spend time with friends and family. I personally think, The new year should start in March and that January, February should be hibernation season. But who am I? (laughs) But I know that I personally am real laid back in January and February. So I have to push through. But when the sun comes out and spring hits and the flowers start to bloom, so do I. And I know lots of people feel the same way. So everybody raise your hand if you're for the new year starting in March. (laughs) So you might as well pull out those goals and those those that list that you made in January and just start working on it now. <laughs> also, don't forget to support our power partners, Podia, Buddha Tea, and Vital Body. You can get more information about them on our show notes, in our show notes on the um, actual podcast page. And these are companies that I have used for a long time and I trust and respect them. So let's get into this conversation. I am so excited to have this conversation or to share it with you. We actually had the conversation a couple of weeks ago, but to share it with you because it's talking about some really impactful things as we talk about mental health and self-care and self-love. We also need to have the information from an expert in the field about how these mechanisms work in our body. So today I'm bringing you the phenomenal Dr. Maisha Claiborne. She is a physician who has expanded her role as a physician into a healer. Now, I can't wait to hear about that. She has become the CEO and founder of the Mind Mapping Academy. She is also an author, a master NLP practitioner, and a TEDx speaker. Today, she joins Black Women Amplified to share her story, which is remarkable, and to have a conversation about the power of our mind and how trauma impacts Black women. Because as you know, we have a unique journey in this nation and around the world. And we need proper information so that we can live our best lives. So I am excited to bring Dr. Maisha to you. And please give her a warm welcome and a round of applause wherever you are. Ladies and gentlemen, Dr. Maisha Claiborne. 
Hello, Dr. Maisha. How are you? Welcome to the Black Women Amplified podcast. Thank you for joining us. And I'm so excited that you're here. Yes, I am so excited to be here. Thank you, Monica, for inviting me. I'm just, I'm very grateful. Yes, when your booking person reached out, I was like, of course, she's got all the things. (laughs) She does all the things. And it was really challenging to hone in on this conversation because you have so much to offer, not in just your practice, but as you are as a woman and as a Black woman, you cover so many topics, especially on your website and your blog. And you graciously shared your story, which I was very touched by. And we'll get into that. But you have an incredible resume, doctor, author, speaker, podcast host, academy founder. Where do you get your ambition from? And and what is the village that instilled that in you? Honestly, I'm going to say that, you know, my mom was the OG entrepreneur in my life. It's interesting because I saw her start and grow. Now, my mom is a retired dentist, just for, for background context. She's a retired dentist and she started a her own dental practice back when starting your own practice was unpopular in a little bitty town in Fayetteville. And I used to work in that dentist's office. And I worked in it for, you know, nine years before, you know, up, up until I graduated from high school. And yet that'll tell you a little bit about the child labor back in the day. <laughs> <laughs> I worked with my dad when I was started at nine. So I understand. <laughs> right, 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 right. But, but you know, there were, it was personal development is what it yes, was. Yes, yes, yes. Personal development. But yeah, <laughs> and then she took that one practice and then she expanded and built another practice. And so having watched her do that and, and do that from the ground up with, you know, basically no business experience and be successful, it just was very inspiring to me. So did you ever want to be a dentist? No. <laughs> You know, it's interesting. Okay. So my mom's retired dentist, my dad's retired OBGYN, right? So my mom's got the top end, my dad's got the other end and I chose family medicine, which is everything in between. (laughs) That is so funny. My dad was a pharmacist and people like, are you going to be a pharmacist? I was like, "Mm -mm, mm -mm." no, it was not my area of genius. So With all of the things that you do, I want to go a little bit deeper and ask you a simple question, which is, who is Maisha? (laughs) Simple, but layered, right? Right. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it all started back in 1975. (laughs) Um, You know, it's so interesting. I love to think about that question now because there are so many layers. Like I'm, I'm a mom and I always say I'm a mom first, just because, you know, I became a mom a little bit later in my life. I'll be in just a couple of weeks here, 48. And my son is eight. So I don't get, you can do the math on that. And so I really love, love, love being a mom and I'm a yogi. I, you know, I I started practicing yoga 17 years ago. I love salsa dancing. So I'm just, I think at my heart and my core, I'm a healer and I'm an artist. And I just happen to have gone into sort of a scientific field. But now like what I do sort of allows me to marry that art and that creative side with my scientific side. But ultimately, I think that all of this came out of just how I grew up. Mm-hmm. And I am a child witness of domestic violence. So I grew up in a home witnessing as a child domestic violence. And I think in a lot of, and that that was before my mom started her practice. So I think in a lot of ways that shaped me to want to understand, you know, sort of myself, understand behavior, understand why people do the things they do to be able to see my mom leave that circumstance and go out and start her own practice. It really inspired and motivated me that no matter what the circumstance, I can create whatever it is that I want. Mm -hmm. And so like, I think as an oldest child and then going through that and sort of growing up a little fast because my mom started her practice as a single mom. And I had to be the one to take care of my sisters. I grew up with two younger sisters. I actually have six other siblings And my dad had four other children after my mom and my dad split up. And to be clear, so I want to be clear about this. 
my mom and my dad split up when I was five. She remarried and he, and that was the person who ended up being the abuser, not mm. my father. So I just wanted to make sure I cleared that up really yes, quickly. Oops. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not at all. And what's interesting and wonderful is that my mom and my dad are actually friends. Like, you know, sometime after all the healing occurred, I mean, this is, and I'm talking about this, and I know I'm jumping a little bit all over the place, but I'm I'm going to bring it back to a point. Like these things that were modeled to me, these are the things that shaped me to when my mom and my dad split. Yes, there was healing. Yes, there was a time where they didn't speak. There was a time where I didn't actually see my father for nine years. But once that healing, once the dust settled, once that healing happened, they were able to come back and be friends. And that actually modeled something for me because now you know, I am in a co-parenting relationship with my son's father, who we are not together. And now having seen it be modeled that two parents who are not together can be friends and can be family, I can actually be that with my son's father. And we can have this sort of different looking family and have my son know that he is loved and that unconditionally that he has family everywhere. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So you asked the question that, you know, who am I? It's just like this culmination of all of these things that have been modeled and then being an oldest child and having experienced what I've experienced growing up, becoming sort of the caretaker of my two sisters early on, you know, that sort of, I think, etched in that that healing space for me. And obviously I get it. I think I get it honestly with two healthcare professional parents right? There's that. And then there's the oldest child taking care of everybody. Mm-hmm. That I, I think at the core, I am a healer. And I have taken that with me throughout my life, through medical school, through residency, through leaving clinical medicine and coaching, and now doing the work I do and in, in consulting with the, the equity, diversity, inclusion, and teaching this work of conscious communication and trauma-informed communication to others. So with all that you went through as a young person, one, seeing your parents split up at five and then your mother go into an abusive relationship, how did that shape how you see relationship, how you see men, how you see the world? And then the next part of that question is, what did you have to overcome to even enter a relationship? Well, I think initially, this is a great question. I think initially... I couldn't tell the impact that it had on me from the point of relationships. Mm-hmm. I think once I got out of the house, I went into a relationship and chose a relationship unconsciously, not knowing the impact that my upbringing had had. It wasn't until I was in my 30s that I began to even look at what the impact of because I didn't really get into like personal development as I am now until my, I would say early thirties. And so that's when we, you know, that's when I started to look at, well, and I didn't even, I didn't even consider myself a, a trauma survivor until in my thirties, when I was sitting down talking with a friend of mine who happened to be a therapist. And I was just, you know, sharing with her some things I was dealing with. And, and she asked me, are you a trauma survivor? And I was like, what are you talking about? No, my mom is a trauma survivor. Mm-hmm. And she says to me, you grew up in that home too. You're a trauma survivor. And now what I know about trauma, like primary versus secondary versus vicarious trauma, I absolutely understand that. But at the time I didn't. So I say that to say there was no barrier to me entering relationships. It's just the people I chose weren't the healthiest for me. Mm-hmm. And I kept choosing people who weren't healthy for me. And I didn't really get that until I was married in, this was like 2007, I believe, so long ago. And I I went into a relationship with an addict who at the time I didn't, when I first started dating him, didn't know that. And it was revealed. And then he went into program and, and I thought, oh, I can change him, you know, cause that's the swan song of every codependent woman. (laughs) (laughs) I can fix him. him, I can change him. (laughs) And then I learned that I couldn't. And so, you know, my eight month marriage, (laughs) you know, ended and I started, you know, I, 
developmental program of my own. And that's really when I, I started to get into this, this sort of personal development is, is like, why do I keep choosing these people? You know, why do I keep doing that? So it wasn't so much that it, it didn't consciously, I wasn't conscious of the way it shaped my view of relationships because I always have had this sort of romantic, what's the word? Romanticized. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like this hopeful romantic aspect of me, right? I believe in love. I believe relationships can work. I believe healthy relationships can work. I think I used to believe love will overcome all, but now I don't believe that. I and mean, I believe you can, you know, love <laughs> from a love distance. people and then be <laughs> incompatible. I think mm-hmm. my wisdom has showed up in that space. But like, yeah, it was it was not until my 30s that I recognized that there was an impact. And then I started to look at what are the lenses through which I view men and I view relationships at that point? I find, because I grew up in an abusive household as well, and I find that we can kind of have this Pollyanna fantasy life that we live inside of in the real world. Like everything's going to be great. It's a form of protection mm-hmm. until we're ready to deal with the reality. <laughs> That's what I have found. It's like we protect ourselves with this you know, you like romantic movies, you like romantic books, you live in this, everything is great, but it's really a bubble of protection because we're not mature enough to handle what we really went through. And that's what I can see what you've done on your journeys. You protected yourself until you were ready to actually deal with it. Yeah. So interesting. <laughs> when you are, you're a healer, you help other people, you, you're a mom, you've been a wife, a daughter, all of these things for others. Who is your cheerleading squad that's around you that supports you and everything that you do? Man, I got me a mom squad. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, it's so funny because I had my son at 39. That was one of the biggest perks. I mean, of course, having my son, right? Being a mom. But like one of the biggest perks of, perks of being a mom is having a mom squad. And I have... Before then, I have to admit, I was kind of a loner. I mean, I had like people who, when I did my personal development programs, they were sort of like my accountability buddies and I had friends. It's not that I didn't have that, that those people, but I did feel very much alone in my world, despite having a lot of people who I knew I could trust or lean on. Mm-hmm. Since when I had my son, it was different. I was like, I need to build this community around me. I had this desire and so, yeah, I have, I have a whole, you know, mom squad. And since mm-hmm. I started late with the benefit, the benefit of me starting late is I have friends who have like grown children. Mm-hmm. So I have those people who are moms <laughs> who I could be like, is this normal? Right. <laughs> <laughs> is he have- still going to climb these walls when he's 12? <laughs> They're like, it gets better. And I'm like, oh, no. And then I have like, the mom squad with kids who are like around my son's age. So I'd be yes. like, girl, we can talk smack, you know, with each other. And right. be like, is your kid doing this? Yes. And we get the inside track and just like laugh together and, and normalize the bumpy road of motherhood, of parenthood, right? Because it is such a bumpy road. And sometimes you just think, am I like doing this right? Like, am I like scarring my kid or is my kid like a psychopath? <laughs> <laughs> or is this normal development, right? And then you meet with other moms. They're like, yes, yes, my son does the same thing or my daughter does the same thing. And I'm like, oh, shoo, it's just development, you know? <laughs> <laughs> that is so funny. And it's beautiful that you had the understanding that you needed to build a tribe because so many women, especially go it alone. They try and do all the things alone, but we were raised in, I mean, our generation was raised in a village. Yes. And at some point you have to trust and build that village around you so that you can be supported. And that's a powerful mindset for you. Did you learn that in your personal development work or is it something that you always knew? You know, it's something that I grew up with. I mean, I have to say, I mean, you know, when my mom, when she left that sort of toxic, abusive environment and she eventually did remarry the the man that she remarried had a community and of course welcome and invited us into that community and even after they split like that community was there for us and so i grew up in a village i grew up well at least from 7th grade on i or from 8th 8th grade on right like i became a part of this village and felt what it was like 
to have play aunties and play uncles and, you mm -hmm. know, like play cousins. And to this day, who are still in communication and close. And so I think that's what got modeled to me. And, and that's what I learned. And also, you know, I've since, you know, in doing the work that I do in the anti-oppression work and the DEI work that I do, understand that the ancestors did it that way. That's how we're supposed to do it. <laughs> That's how we post to do it. And That's how we post to do it. I, when I, I went to post. Africa, I was like, oh, everybody works together. There's not this. Right. There's this. Everybody has their roles, but there's no ego in it, I should say. You just do what you have to do so that everybody does well. That's right. And there's not you did, there was you know, all the things we do over here in America. Right. <laughs> right. In America. <laughs> Other countries don't have those issues. So let's talk about your work. You're a family practitioner, but when did you decide that you needed more tools to do your healing work? And then how did the medical community receive hypnosis and meditation and the other modalities that you do? Well, so it's funny because I've always been outside the box when it comes to the clinical, when it, you know, and to be clear, I'm like sort of like no longer doing any clinical work inside of family medicine, but I have always been off the beaten path. So before I went to medical school, I trained in, in Reiki and in energy work and became a Reiki master. I was doing yoga from that time, um, not as consistently when I started in residency, but like I was all into the crystals, you know, going home on lunch breaks, meditating, mm -hmm. you know, was, <laughs> was, was into the essential oils, traditional Chinese medicine. So it was something that was always a part of me. And it started with this book that someone gave me near graduation from college called Between Heaven and Earth. And it was just about how the mind-body connection and how our, which, which of course I'm a psychology undergraduate major. So I was immediately attracted to that, like the mind body connection and how there are natural ways for our bodies to heal them, themselves and how there are natural there, you know, there are like natural things out in this world, the plants and the food that we eat, all of that can heal us. And there was a, an awareness going into medical school that the Western medical knowledge was going to be needed. I, I didn't know how, why or how, but intuitively it's like, I still need to go to medical school and get a traditional medical degree. And I also need to learn this aspect of it because what I could see was that the marriage of the two, like there's a place for, for Western medicine and there's a place for all of the rest of I, what I like to call traditional. I mean, they call traditional medicine, Western medicine, but really traditional medicine is the original medicine, right. you know, the African, the indigenous, you know, medicines, that is the original medicine. And Hoptep was the father of medicine, right? So understanding that there is a need for all of it, I went into the Western medical program. When I came out and I started to do the things like, you know, the aromatherapy and the herbal medicines, the medical community, now keep in mind, this was 2004 when I came out of residency. This was before holistic medicine was a thing. Mm -hmm. The medical community was not super, you know, like open about it. They were just kind of like, nice job there. It's interesting. Interesting. <laughs> you know that with that tone of voice, interesting, right? And so I found myself isolated in from my own community for some time my own in, in my career rather isolated it from my own professional community for quite a while and i surrounded myself with what i would call medically adjacent people like therapists and chiropractors and massage therapists like people who were healthcare adjacent who and that's that's the community that i sort of walked in for quite a bit of time but after five years, I knew that I would leave clinical medicine and I would do something different. And so that's, you know, when I started to do this, take on this journey of hypnosis and neuro-linguistic programming and like this sort of deep work. And that's something that I've had to do a lot of education in my communities around. So tell me about the hypnosis. How does that work? Because 
my imagery of hypnosis is always those B movies my dad used to take me to. <laughs> Where it was some guy in Vegas that would have people in a chair and they would have them do these crazy things. What is hypnosis? How does it work? And then how do you use it with your clients? Well, hypnosis is, and I always love this, this part because I get to dispel all the myths, right? Hypnosis is simply a focused state of attention combined with physical relaxation. So what we call that is we call that trance, right? So, and, and most people have heard the word trance, like trance music, EDM. And so everybody can go into trance. Everyone has been in trance. And I'll give you some examples because people are like, oh, I can't be hypnotized. Everyone can be hypnotized, right? And so if you've ever been driving down the street, listening to music or in deep thought, and you get so in deep thought that you like look up and you're like, how did I get here? Mm -hmm. You were in trance. Or if you've ever like, been to a party and you just got so in the music that like, the world disappeared. You just went into trance. Okay. If you've ever been watching television and you get so in the program that someone's calling your name and you, it just like out in the distance, you can't even hear it. You've been in trance. So all hypnosis is, is when you have a professional that sort of assists you into that trance for the purposes of creating these empowering suggestions. Now, what you're talking about is stage hypnosis, and there's a distinction. So the type of hypnosis that I do is therapeutic hypnotherapy, and the type of hypnosis that is stage hypnosis is for entertainment purposes. Now, I mean, the induction of, or the 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 assistance the assistance into trance is the same. It's the same technique. Mm -hmm. You know, there's lots of techniques to do it, but there's the same. It's the same. It's you know, it comes from the same background. But one is used for entertainment, and one is used therapeutically. So, how is it used therapeutically? Does it help people with their trauma or their mindset? All of the above. So um, hypnosis can help from things with things from anxiety to insomnia. I had a client who she would not be able to sleep because her husband was snoring. Mm -hmm. And so I helped to, I did a hypnosis session to help her to tune that out so that she could get a good sleep in the same room with her husband. It worked wonders, right? <laughs> I have helped people quit smoking with hypnosis. I have helped people release negative emotion and limiting beliefs that no longer serve them with hypnosis, get over speaking anxiety or any anxiety for that matter, but speaking anxiety particularly, or people who can't like turn their mind off to go to sleep. Like these are the types of things. I actually, I haven't done this with a person, but I did it for myself, hypnobirthing right? So hypnosis for pain management. Oh, wow. When I had, had a surgery on my leg a couple of years ago, almost three years ago now, and used hypnosis to help with pain control. Now, of course I did get some local anesthetic, but like even in that time and afterwards, I used hypnosis for pain control. So it can be used for all kinds of things. And you can do self-hypnosis as well. Mm -hmm. There are apps out there. I'm actually creating one as we speak, there are apps where you can listen to and for specific things, sleep or confidence can build confidence. It could let go of negative energy, you could access your creativity, like all of those types of things using hypnosis. Now, Black women have a specific type of trauma. Not only do we have the regular just being a girl in America, but we have all of the generational things that we have to deal with, as well as societal problems. Mm -hmm. Your work speaks a lot about the unconscious mind. And I find, especially working with Black women, that we have a conscious mind where we're aware of all the things that are happening. But we also have this level of self-doubt and lack of lack of worth yeah. that's balling up within us all the time. That's a constant challenge and a constant fight with ourselves. Because we seems like we live these dual lives, like outside in the world, we're overachievers, we're strong, we're powerful, all these things. 
But in the mirror, we can't stand to look at ourselves. We're crying and we're picking at ourselves. How do the modalities that you work with assist women in getting rid of those unconscious beliefs and just so that we can move out of survival mode into thriving mode in all areas of our life? Yeah. There's a particular tool that I typically use with women when I work with my do sort of my deep work with women. And also I teach this as well in my trainings called timeline therapy. And what that is, is it is a way it's a, it's really a process of active imagination. And it's sort of like a regret, what we call a regression technique. And so what it allows us to do is to really get to the source of old beliefs And usually those old negative beliefs are attached to old hurt, old anger, old sadness, old fear, old guilt. And so these negative emotions that have been sort of embodied from events over time and sometimes embodied from things that have happened even before we were born. Now you talked about like the generational trauma and we know in medicine that stress is passed down through the womb. Mm -hmm. So it's, you know, suffice it to say that stress can be passed down in the womb through generations. And we've seen the impact of generational trauma that it can also be healed. And so I use this technique to get to the source of like old, like stuck negative emotion. And that loosens the belief the negative beliefs as well. And so ultimately what happens is I help people see themselves for who they really are. Like, I'm going to say like the God in them, right? Mm -hmm. The beauty of the universe inside of them, the creative inside of them by removing a lot of the, the dust, the clouds, just the unresourceful stuff from the past, right? I talk, call it cleaning out the closet and it it really does give this enormous sense of freedom. And then what happens is <clears throat> things that opportunities and people in our lives, like support systems that have always been there, but we couldn't see because we had sort of these blinders, this view, we can now see. Mm-hmm. And it leaves us motivated and, and feeling more confident And so what happens is your insides begin to match your outsides. Like you look in the mirror and you're like, oh, there you are. Mm -hmm. Like, there you are. There I am. I can see it it now. Yeah. And, and it's, I think it's very powerful what the unconscious mind can do when we allow ourselves to reconnect in. And sometimes that reconnection initially can be emotional. I'm not going to say painful. I'm going to say emotional. And the release can be cathartic. I remember years ago, my church is in L.A., Agape, and they had a um, convention and Abraham Hicks was there. Mm. And yes, (laughs) Abraham Hicks was there and she had and what you're saying is what I saw happen literally. So she had a black girl up there and she was talking about her issues and her problems but by the time she Abraham Hicks finished talking to her and going through the questions like they do, I literally saw this shadow lift up out of her and she looked like she, her whole complexion lightened up. Mm-hmm. And you and she was she could literally have floated off of that stage. You could just see all of the, the burden. So let's talk about that a little bit as black women. How does trauma show itself? Because we know we all have trauma. People keep talking about, I need to go to therapy. We have trauma. But how does it show up in our daily lives? Well, so when we, first of all, you know, understanding the nature of trauma trauma is key, right? Like trauma is, it keeps the body on high alert, right? So when we experience trauma, So trauma is the body's response to events that have happened. And it could either be one big event or multiple small events over time, right? Mm -hmm. And so when we experience these events, our body's response is to protect itself. And what happens with trauma is that we're protecting ourselves so much that the body gets primed for threat. 
And so it's like, we're always looking over our shoulder. We're always ready to fight. We're always ready to flee. We're always ready to people please. We're always ready to freeze up or to shut down, right? So the four main ways that we talk about how trauma shows up is in this trauma response or this fight or flight or freeze or fawn response. Mm -hmm. So you're either, the fight response is like either confrontational, more agitated. And I think that's where sort of the angry black woman stereotype comes from, that's sort of like trauma response. And there's more to that. There's, that's a whole nother layers of things unpacked. Some of that is just stereotype, stereotyping. Right. And, <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's a yeah, form stereoty- of oppression to stereotype us. And Oppressing, us into, exactly, yes. exactly. Mm-hmm. And any, yeah, like any kind of emotion that gets felt is, is angry black woman like that. That's a whole other conversation. Mm-hmm. But that agitated, that confrontational response, that's trauma response, right? And then there's the flight, like the flee, like the avoidance and the, you know, the just disappearance. So the, you know, I'm I'm just gonna flee the scene. That's the another response. And then you have your freeze response. Now, before we knew about freeze and fawn, which are the other two responses I'll talk about in a minute, it was just fight and flight. And I remember in medical school learning about the fight or flight response and thinking, gosh, like I don't relate to either one of those. I mean, yes, in some circumstances, I would probably flee. In some circumstances, I might fight. But for the most part, I was a freezer. If it's something happened, like someone said something to me that just didn't quite hit right, I wouldn't become confrontational or I wouldn't leave. I would just like be a deer in the headlights. And that's the freeze response or shut down, right? I learned to shut down because I grew up in a home where it wasn't safe to do anything else but shut down, mm-hmm. right? To block it all out, to block out the threat. And then the fawn is the person who then bends over backwards, people pleases, becomes codependent in order to avoid the threat as well. Like, just don't get mad. Just don't get mad. Just don't get mad. I'm, let me do whatever you need me to do. Whatever you need me to do, just don't get mad, right? So that's the fawn response. And so that's how it shows up. It can show up it can, the tra- trauma can show up in people pleasing. It can show up in avoidance and it can show up in shutdown and block out. It can show up in confrontational, being more ag- agitated and confrontational. And one of the ways that I teach people is you got to get connected with your body because when you start to really get connected with your body, you can know what that feels like in your body and you can begin to interrupt it as it's rising before it gets to a full response right? A full fight, flight, freeze, or fawn response. Does that make sense? Oh, 100%. It's like my godson, when he was little, I could just see him revving up. Mm -hmm. And so there were certain things that I would do physically to him to get him to stop, like put my hand on his back or Mm -hmm. rub his cheek or kind of divert his attention. Yes. You know, even in myself, I find because I I recognize my, not just my trauma, but my triggers, Mm -hmm. I will close my eyes and put my hands on my chest and just say, breathe, Mm -hmm. you're safe. That is my, when I'm in the middle of it, I say, breathe and you are safe. You are safe. Mm -hmm. So that's what I've taught myself so that I don't get, because I always say black women, we're always on eight and it doesn't take as much to get to 12. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And, but I realize that that's not the angry black woman, which is what I internalize. It's my trauma. Right. And I think that's where a lot of us miss that piece is that that pop off that they say that we always do or that aggression that that they say we always have is our, we are so entrenched in survival mm-hmm. that we have to protect ourselves. And just That's so right. it explains, you just explain medically what I have been experiencing or feeling and I've seen in other people. Yeah. Now, what is NLP? Talk to me about that because I see it a lot more now. I don't know exactly what that is. Well, so before I get to that, I want to just piggyback on something you said. It's really great, like that response. I want to just say that I think that it's good for us to understand is that these these activated responses, these trauma responses are involuntary. Mm-hmm. We don't wake up and like some when someone does something to us or says something to us, we don't say, now I'm going to fight or flee or freeze or, right? I think it's important to understand that this stuff happens like instinctually. And I love what you said about what you do, what you said with your, did you say your son or your nephew? My godson. Your godson, your godson. Your godson is, because this is something that 
I have learned to do it and that I'm now teaching my son as well is if you feel in your, if you begin to really get in your body and let's say anger is responsible or, you know, you're a, you're a shutter downer, right? You're, you're mm-hmm. a freezer, right? Or you know that you're a fleer and, and, or, you know, that you're, you're like compelled to walk on eggshells. If you get to know what does that feel like in my body? Like right before I shut down, I know there's a sensation in my body that happens. And then I always ask myself, what happens before that? Then what happens before that? Mm-hmm. So like, if you take, let's say, if you take the emotion of anger and I do this with my son, cause I know that being a single parent is not easy. And, I, and if I'm not taking care of myself, then I can go from, you know, zero to 10. And I, of course, don't want to, you know, like, this is the thing that I'm trying to model with my son, but also for my myself and my own well-being. So if I say, okay, let's take the emotion of anger. I know what anger feels like. And then I also know a step above that is rage, right? I don't usually allow myself to get to rage, but anger is here. So like what happens right before that? Oh, it may be like irritation. And then what happens before that? You know, maybe it's agitation or maybe it's agitation and irritation. Then what happens before that? Well, maybe it's annoyance that happens before that. Mm-hmm. And then what happens before that? Maybe it's just like bothersome. And then what happens before that is just a body sensation that that discomfort that you don't have a name for. So now knowing the gradations of anger, of everything up to anger, frustrations in there somewhere too, I can, if there's something going on, a dynamic happening between me and my eight-year-old, then I can feel like, okay, where am I? And what allows me to do is be able to language like, okay, I'm getting frustrated or you know what? Okay. Now I'm annoyed. Okay. I'm irritated. And then before I get angry, I can say, okay, I'm going to go into the other room or I'm not, you know, I'm going to disengage. I'm going to do what I need to go do to go take care of myself so I can come back and be okay. And the other thing I really want to say about that is that when we can do that and we can have structures in place to take care of ourselves, like you do hand over heart, I'm safe. You know, whatever that thing is for you, like have a plan in place. So, you know, it may be that if you're on the phone, you say, okay, you know what? I got to go. I really have to go now. Or if you're in a room, you say, you know what? I'm going to leave the room. I need to, I'll be right back. If you're in a in a professional space, I gotta go to maybe it's, I need to go to the ladies' room. <laughs> right. I need to go to the restroom. I need to go to the ladies' room. So that doesn't appear like storming out, like, you know what? I'll be right back. I'll be right back. Right. I'm going to the restroom. And then it gives you the space to be like, all right, this is where I am. Okay, this is what I need to do to calm down, you know, like that. Mm-hmm. So I just wanted to like complete that thought because I feel like what you said was so critical, like to be able to interrupt that ramp up and how do you do that exactly? Like, what do you do? So thank you for giving me the space to, to sort of like give that. Of course. I mean, it's so important because like I said, we, we, we can pop off in an instance, Mm -hmm. but you just explained that the pop off is the end result. It's not the beginning. And if we notice where it begins, like somebody says something and you snap your neck or if somebody looks at you crazy, your thoughts, what are you having about that moment? Mm-hmm. So it helps us to get it, to get in our bodies. And so let me ask you then, what are some techniques that we can use to learn how to get into our bodies so that we can even recognize those triggers or moments that are happening before that big moment happens? Yeah. I think it's some of this will sound a little cliche, but I'll I'll uh, <laughs> I'll say it anyway. So some of it is sitting still and asking ourselves, "What am I feeling now? Mm-hmm. What emotion am I experiencing now?" And then take a scan, like do a body scan. Okay, what does that feel like? I think breath work is really important. I love yoga, so I'm a little biased, so I'm going to say yo- <laughs> yoga. And there's like a million different forms like styles of yoga that that you can that you can look and practice i think meditation is also very good and people think you know meditation sitting cross-legged for hours and no if you could like meditate for five minutes and, and during that time just do a little body scan just to see like what is my body feeling like i think dancing dancing is such a great way to like connect with the body right and not like 
choreographed, like just turning music on and, and, and dancing to different types of music because different types of music will give you, will inspire different types of movements that feel, that don't feel like your natural way of dancing. Mm-hmm. And that gets you connected to everything that your body can do and experience and all the feelings that come up. And oftentimes moving your body, like that kind of dance movement, fluid movement can shake loose emotion. I know when I'm on the yoga mat and I'm having a, you know, I'm sort of like stressed out that shakes loose emotion. And sometimes tears come out on the mat, you know? So I think that's, those are some of the, the ways that you can. And I think also the other thing in preventing ourselves from moving from zero to 10 is to make sure that, you know, we're taking care of ourselves, the basics, you know, hungry, you know, the HALT is the acronym, hungry, angry, lonely, tired, right? So making sure we're eating regularly, checking in with our emotions, connecting, connecting with people, connection mitigates trauma and tired, making sure we're sleeping. And then there's, I always add an S like halts because stress, stress is often under recognized as a place where if we're in a stressful environment and then we have, then it's, it's easier just for us to pop off a little bit more quickly. Yeah. Stress is, is a powerful understanding that I think we all need to really look into because I was talking to a young lady one time and she was like, I'm just going to quit my job. And it wasn't because she was so frustrated with her job. It's that within the last, I think she said like 18 months, Mm -hmm. six black women who around 60 years old had passed away. Mm. And she said she knew it was stress. Right. And because we're so used to operating at such a high stress level, we don't know really what it feels like to be calm. That's right. So we think it's normal, but it's not normal. And so she said, I don't want to. And her fear was, I don't want to die at 60. I have a son to take care of. Mm -hmm. And so she's like, I'm just going to quit the job. I'm just going to move. I don't know what I'm going to do. And so I said, I told her, I suggested, I said, just take a month off. Mm hmm so that you can decompress mm-hmm. just to know what what's good for you and what's not for you. Yeah. And I don't think we take that time because we think we have to do all of the things. Yes. <laughs> like, oh, I have to do this. And, and we definitely have, especially if you're an entrepreneur, you have shiny penny syndrome. Mm-hmm. Well, let me do this and let me do this. So when, when and I'm calling on all of your expertise and all of your wisdom, mm-hmm. when will we look in the mirror and recognize that we are enough as we are. You know, I say people will pop when they pop. Mm-hmm. You know, it's uh, like popcorn, right? I think that when when you we have podcasts like this, right? Where we have these kinds of dialogues and that make people really think. And then that that like activates, oh, maybe I should reach out to someone. You know, then when there's the dialogue, we're in this wonderful sort of, it's a double-edged sword, but I like to call, think of it as one a wonderful information age where there's like podcasts and there's empowering social media. I know there's some social media that's not empowering, I'm clear. <laughs> but like I see a lot of these like TikToks and where we're we're really like dropping knowledge on how to take care of ourselves and and what is toxic and what is not, right? And so I think that everyone wakes up when they wake up and and my hope in, you know, the healer in me hopes that, that we'll more and more of us will start to wake up earlier and earlier. And I do believe that the generation behind me and, uh, you know, like the millennial generation, the, especially the younger, like the, whatever you call the zennials and the Gen Z's and the alpha. The and Gen all Z's, the people. they're the bomb. <laughs> the Gen Z's, yeah. the, like your kid is, a, your son is an alpha baby. Yes. But these Gen Zers, I feel like the millennials came to destroy everything. They're just here to break down all of the beliefs, all of the understanding that we had. They tear it down. Gen Zers are like the baby boomers with technology. (laughs) They're like, let's rebuild. (laughs) And they rebuild in a way that is steeped in the truth of understanding of humanity. Let's make a world that works for everybody. Yeah. I, I think love those I kids. <laughs> yeah, I definitely think so. I think that the Gen X generation, so we have like the baby boomers who brought values from their parents who lived through the Great Depression and they have these very 
strong like work ethic and grounding and family values. And I think they passed it on to the, the, the Gen X, but the limitation of the baby boomers is that they feel like, you know, they're a little bit inflexible and in that they feel like, you know, I have to work a certain, you know, do work a certain way you know, work 40 years. And, and they came up in this era where there was, there was a lot of injustice. And so it's challenging, I think for baby boomers to transition out of that mindset and then you have the Gen Xers like me who we come from old family values, but then we see sort of like this possibility and we wake up and realize, oh, we don't have to do it this way. Right. But we don't realize it until our forties. <laughs> That's <laughs> so when it kicks in. Like, it's like, oh, I don't have to be like my parents. Oh. Right. Exactly. <laughs> and, so, and so then there's, you know, like boomers give birth to millennials and also Xers give, you know, like early ex-gens give birth to millennials who come and just completely, like you say, disrupt the system. They're like, mm-hmm. we're not going to take right. it. <laughs> no, we ain't going to take it. They you know, I'm aging they... myself. You know, listen, I'm aging myself now. <laughs> listen, you know, I want to headbang with you. <laughs> and, and they listen to our music, our Gen X music that was completely rebellious. And they're like, right. oh, we don't have to take it. And they embodied it. <laughs> And embodied it, right? I, I have to tell you, man, that song, I mean, you know, I can say I remember when MTV started. Yes, I remember. And, and that was like, you know, the days of Twisted Sister and Wham and Duran Duran. Uh, yes. Girl, I still yes. love Sting. And yes, the Bowie. police and Genesis police. and <laughs> Max Headroom. And yes. so, yeah. We have the, the benefit of that real band music. Yes. You know? mm-hmm. Yeah. So like the millennials came and they're like, we're not going to take it anymore. And right. they birthed the Gen Z who now have come into this world, not really having experienced a lot of the trauma that we experienced, but they still experience trauma. It's just look, it just looks different, but they see differently. They have different eyes, like you said. Mm-hmm. And I think the Gen Z and the alpha gen like all, they're just going to change the world. Mm-hmm. Most yeah. definitely. Yeah. That's why I do my work. That's why you do your work? That's why I do what I do. I am very clear that in my lifetime, I will not see the kind of change that I would like to see. Mm-hmm. What I am clear of is that I'm doing the work that I'm doing so that my son will see it in his lifetime. And I am trying to give him the tools and his friends and his cousins and all of the young people, Gen Z and of course us, because, you know, in order for them to get the tools, we got to get the tools. Mm -hmm. But I am trying to really impart this next generation, these next generations with some powerful tools because they're the ones, they are the ones. So you talk about that you want to make sure that they have the tools. So what is your vision for the future, because what it sounds like is you're a great, you're a thought leader and a visionary because you're conscious of what you're doing Mm -hmm. to make sure that when they're your age, their world is completely different than ours. So what is your vision and how do you tap into it? How did you tap into that vision? What have you seen? Because I know something, some download from God had to come for you to be so passionate about what you do. Yeah, I think it's sort of, evolved over time, right? I, like I said, healer is my core, right? And I just have applied it in, in very different ways. And I think that in 2020, when the things that happened with George, with George Floyd and Ahmaud Arbery and Breonna Taylor, and of course, there's countless others since then and before then, but particularly in proximity and with the whole world sitting down and watching during the pandemic, I think that moment shifted something with me that had me really move into this space of activism and looking at how can I use my tools? And you asked me what NLP is, and I'll, I know we're getting close to time, but I want to just down, you know, bottom line in time. a moment. But I feel like I came to this place where I was like, how can I know that the tools that I have can make a difference in shifting the conversation and breaking the generational patterns. And of course I see, you know, I have this black little boy that I'm raising and I think I cannot, he cannot grow up in this world in this way. 
and I see his friends, you know, his best friends, and I see my nephew and nieces, and I see, you know, they cannot, I cannot imagine them growing up in a world where you have to look, you have to like look over your shoulder because somebody's going to call the police on you for no reason, or you're going to get, you have to be afraid to get stopped because you might not make it home. Like I just cannot, it it will not be. So how can I use the tools that I know, which is the tools of helping to shift people's mindset, not only us to, so that we know who we really are, mm-hmm. right? But also how can I like those white people out there who, those people who identify as white and who are a, oppressor or adjacent, mm-hmm. how can I, and, but they're allies, right? They're allies and they're like, we want to learn, right? They're co-conspirators and they're like, we want to learn. How can I then teach them how to dismantle white supremacism in their own, in themselves? And then how can I teach us how to dismantle internalized yes. white supremacism and, and oppressive culture in ourselves and begin to really see who we really are and, and how powerful and you know just magical that we are as a people. And so that's sort of like the how the vision has formed. And being in the work every day, I can see like we have a long way to go. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So that we have uh, to decolonize our minds, right? Decolonize my. And I will tell you, you know, one of the reasons, the vision. You asked me the vision. One of the things that came to me, I was driving home with my son one day, and I used this this work with him to empower him. My neuro linguistic programming and hypnosis. You know, he asks for it. He knows what mommy does. He said, I'll tell what does mommy do? You teach people about their brains and how to empower themselves. Like he knows that. And so I use these tools with him. And one day I was driving home and I was like, do you think you'd ever want to do you? I said, do you think you'd ever be be interested in learning what I do and how I do what I do? And he was like, yeah. And I said, do you think you might ever be interested in teaching it? like maybe to other kids he was like maybe and that's when I got the idea that's when I got the idea of what if I taught educators what if I taught children what if I taught parents this is how we get the next generation right this is how we get the next generation so how did the vision that's how the vision actually formed Mm -hmm. and that's what has me so passionate about it (laughs) did have you ever looked at the David Lynch Foundation website I have not so the David Lynch Foundation, oh, you, you're you going to fight. These are your people. Mm. Because David Lynch, you're like, I'm going to look now. Yep. The David Lynch <laughs> Foundation teaches transcendental meditation. Oh. And so they teach it to veterans. They teach it to children. So they even have schools that are doing it. And there was a story that came out about the Detroit school system. Mm. How they were give, teaching the kids transcendental meditation. The problems went down and the grades went up. Yes. <laughs> Those are your people. Is this the guy who you said this was in, in Detroit? Is this the guy who instead of I heard about something like this, instead of detention, they went to meditation? Yes. The still school in Detroit. Yes. 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 I heard about this. Yes, I do know about him. And then the David Lynch Foundation, they have taken transcendental meditation and just blown it out of the water as far as who they're reaching. It's the same techniques. But it's powerful that you're going to do that because if you teach a young child how to process their emotions, how to see the world from a different perspective, I know you talked about perspective in your TED Talk, but to see the world in a different perspective and to be able to see the real world, okay, we can go to the matrix. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. (laughs) And see the real world instead of the world we think we see. Mm -hmm. You don't have all of those stresses because you know it's not real. Yeah. You learn that your responses are real, but you're responding to something that is not real. Right. You can ask yourself the right questions. Go ahead. That's right. And I'm going to take it a step further, right? So not only if you can see the matrix, right? You can see the real world. You can see the unreality of it. Even when it feels real, like, you know, like we can say, honor your experience, honor your feelings, honor, like, and then have the tools 
to interact with it, to communicate in a way that like cuts through resistance, mm-hmm. to be able to listen in a way that you hear things that people are saying that may not be coming out of their mouth, to be able to connect in a way that you know people are drawn to, mm-hmm. right? to be able to get to the roots of a problem or a complaint so easily, or to be able to help people who are on different pages come to the same pages and see commonality in each other, mm-hmm. right? To be able to instantly in the moment and conversationally reframe a negative thought in yourself or another person, you know, to be able to do that, like to see the matrix and then interact with it in a way that changes the matrix, mm-hmm. right? So like you see the code, but you actually have the tools to change the code. That's NLP, by the way. That's what I do. Mm-hmm. Help mm-hmm. people mm-hmm. to use language, spoken and unspoken, to be able to reprogram their thoughts, beliefs, actions, behaviors, to be to produce the kind of results they want to produce in their lives, to feel happier, to connect with people more, to be able to communicate more effectively. When you're able, when they're able to do that, unstoppable. (laughs) And that's what people don't understand is we have the power to change our experience, the experience that we have in life. And yeah, that's amazing. It reminds me of the movie I watched years ago called What the Bleed. That's what this reminds me. Oh, (laughs) yes. Love that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's powerful. You got to come back. We haven't, let me tell you something. I have a list of questions and we haven't even gotten to the questions because this conversation is so rich. I plan to talk to you about entrepreneurship. So you're going to have to come back and talk about that. I I absolutely love to. Yes. Yeah. You know what? I'll take it real deep, real fast. (laughs) No, I love the deep conversations because that's how you start to recognize that there is a code, that the life we live is not the life one that we chose mm-hmm. consciously mm-hmm. as we do choose. I believe we choose every experience we're going to, but we learn how to choose different experiences consciously, but you have to know you have that in you to do. And so that's what your techniques do is it, it says, we're going to erase all the stuff you think you knew about yourself, about your family, about life, about the world. And we're going to start over fresh. And this time you're going to make conscious choices, intentional conscious choices of how you want to live. So then that's when you, when people ask, and here's the thing, we had that knowledge when we came over on the slave ships, we had that knowledge. Mm -hmm. It was, it literally was beaten out of us. And I tell people all the time, they don't oppress us because they hate us. They oppress us because they know our power. Yeah. They're afraid. So that fear is what keeps us, their fear projected onto us is what keeps us from stepping out, like you said, outside of the box. That's right. So I really appreciate this conversation. <laughs> talk to you for 10 more hours. I know you have to go get your baby. Yeah. You have to go get little Yoda. <laughs> I know, right? You know, for real though, because my boy, I always say this when I talk in front of rooms, when I when I do my speaking, I said, my son is my biggest teacher. He is my baby Yoda. He is my coach. I didn't know nothing until I had him. Mm. Yeah. And I say, I say it to him. I said, you know, you're my, you're my coach. Right. I learned how, (laughs) I learned how much emotionally unintelligent I was. (laughs) I was like, Oh, I got work to do. (laughs) Sometimes they ask you things and you're like, uh, (laughs) go ask your father. (laughs) Go ask your grandmother. <laughs> I said that this morning. I was like, oh, I should have added that. <laughs> well, I have enjoyed our time together. You are welcome back anytime. And I do want to, I will talk to your people <laughs> and schedule something maybe in the next couple of months so we can talk about entrepreneurship. Because I, I think that's, that. you know, if they say Black, well, they the numbers say Black women are entering business more than any other group. Mm-hmm. We're the highest educated, but we're not getting paid properly. 
Mm. We're not valued and we're not valuing ourselves. So I definitely wanted that conversation because I think you have some information and techniques that could help us charge more, (laughs) work less and work less stressful. So Dr. Maisha, I am grateful for this conversation and thank you for letting me get deep into your brain. And um, I'm so glad that we met virtually and I'm excited about your work. Now, please tell everybody how they can get in touch with you and reach you and your website and your social media. Absolutely. So if you're interested in learning a little bit more about the work that I'm doing, either personal coaching work, or if you're you're saying, you know what, I think I might've learned, want to learn some of this NLP or hypnosis. You can go to mindremappingacademy.com. That's M-I-N-D mind remapping, R-E-M-A-P-P-I-N-G academy, A-C-A-D-E-M-Y.com. And I'm on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram and TikTok. So those are the four. And it's all backslash Dr. Maisha. What I will say is if you're like, I'm curious, I encourage you to listen to my podcast. It's called The Black Mind Garden, and it is on all your favorite podcast platforms, The the Black Mind Garden. And that would be my one action item that I would have you take, because that is where you can learn more and more about the various things that I talk about and how I apply it to all these various areas in life. Now, before we go, I want you to add two words to your bio. Okay. Thought leader, visionary, physician, thought leader, visionary, and then you can go to all the other stuff. Thank you. I will. I appreciate the (laughs) scene and I will add that to my bio. Thank you so much. I so appreciate. And thank you for, for having me on Monica. I would love to number one, come back. Number two, have you on my podcast, saying it publicly. <laughs> and yes. also just- Yes, con- yes, and yes. Yes. <laughs> also just to connect with you and see how we can continue to support each other because I'm very clear we need to be community. Oh, 100%. I'm like, I'm sitting here and let me tell you my physical sensations. When I know that I've met one of my soul tribe, it's like this cold breeze comes over me. Mm. And I can feel the energy and it's like little stardust around me. That's just my one of my physical sensations when I meet one of my soul tribes. So definitely we're going to connect. <laughs> I will send your people my number so we can take it to the phone. But yes, too, I would love to come on your podcast. And yes, I'm going to schedule you to come back probably in maybe May. Sounds perfect. So thank you. I know you got your baby. And before we start a whole nother conversation, (laughs) have an amazing day and I appreciate your time. And thank you for coming to the Black Women Amplified podcast. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Black Women Amplified. We hope you enjoyed the show. Be sure to subscribe and log on to blackwomenamplified.com for more information. Keep shining. Keep shining.